Sad news this morning. It'll be first up on our discussion. A bright light on the political scene goes dark. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. It's Friday, and it's another one of those beautiful weekends by statistics of the year. One of the two most beautiful weekends of the year. I hope you all have plans. We might be going to Cedar Point for one last hurrah, except now it occurs to me, I think that's where we all picked up RSV. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, wear a helmet if you get in line for a roller coaster. Yeah, man. good that point. Dangerous. It's going to make soccer games that much more fun to watch uh, this, this weekend, kids' soccer yeah. games. It's a lot easier to do that when it's not 90 and humid or rainy and 40. Yeah. I'm all just right, gonna... let's get started. Oh, go ahead, Lisa. No, I was just going to say, I'm staying safe and social distanced in my garden this weekend. Aww, okay. Gardening All right. Hope you don't best. find any army worms out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is the reason that one of the brightest lights on Ohio's political scene in decades, Anthony Gonzalez, has decided to quit. He will not run for re-election in his congressional district. Laura Johnston, this was a jaw-dropper of an item last night, came across late, didn't even make the print edition of The Plain Dealer. It was so late. And and it's sad because a lot of people had put faith that he was the future of the Republican Party in Ohio. What's going on? Right, because he stood up for his beliefs and he was one of 10 Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump, which apparently led to his downfall because of this toxic dynamics is what he quoted saying in his Twitter statement. And he he talked about wanting to spend more time with his family and have a fuller family life. But he said it's the toxic dynamics of the party that make it possible for him to operate, basically. And they have made his life incredibly difficult. He has a, an opponent backed by Trump who's running against him, who have called him all sorts of names. And he just doesn't want to work in that environment, which is really really disappointing. Well, the the most disappointing thing about it is that it means the bad guys win. It means yeah. that that mm-hmm. the politics of hatred, of false statements, of condescension, uh, I mean, it, all of the bad things that Donald Trump represented and Josh Rendell represents, they win because Gonzalez was the pillar against that. And you thought with his football background and his character and his integrity that he would stand up against it and say, no, we're going to retake this party and make it what the party always was supposed to be. But he's walking away. He's quitting. Is there any hope? Are we just going to be overrun now by loons? I mean, look, think about how depressing this week has been. Gonzalez is going away, a future possible governor or senator. The Republicans in the state house violated the constitution and put out a gerrymandered map and almost nobody is doing anything about it so far it's the 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 complaints have been tepid it's it's stunning how much we're giving up i mean are we heading into a fascist state so well, what do you think about this i mean Yes. And don't forget, Mike DeWine threw up his hands and said, I can't put a mask mandate on for the kids of our our state because the Republican legislators will immediately overrule me. So it's like anybody that you looked to as a leader is basically throwing up their hands and saying, sorry, like I can't do anything. And and people who I don't understand their belief system necessarily are are just wrecking it, you know, and making it impossible for people to stand up for what is right. Are they doing it because they feel like they're a member of some club? I mean, is it is it just Trump, the Trump 
party, the, the Trump faction of the party makes them feel like they're part of something, even if it's really bad and could end democracy, they're a part of it. Then everybody else is, is outside. I just don't get, get this. I mean, Anthony Gonzalez was a great, great leader and now he's gone. There will be at the end of next year. Well, but you know, these people are getting threatened with violence. People are standing outside their house. They're making, you know, violent and intimidating threats on social media. After a while, you kind of have to weigh the safety of your family against your political aspirations. And in this political calculus, Gonzalez decided it, it wasn't good enough for him. And it's a shame. I get it. But, you know, when people learn that violence and intimidation works, and it has, as we've seen in school boards across the country these past few weeks, it's it's, it's frightening. But, but where is that sentiment that something worth fighting for is worth fighting for? Yeah, it's hard, but the future of the country is at stake. There's nothing more important for your children than to make sure that they live in a real democracy. I, I just, where are the people that stand up and say, no, I, I'll take the blows. I'm going to try to make sure that we don't go down this road. This is one of the most frightening moments in, in, in our lifetimes that, this the, the whole political structure of the country is in balance. And if people like Gonzalez won't stand firm, who will? Who who is left to try to say, no, 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 that is not the Republican Party as I know it. We're going to bring it back. The, the, the people that believe like Gonzalez, they're not saying anything. They're keeping quiet because they don't want to take the guff. Layla Tassi, you're being silent here. I yeah, know you're I'm just silent. so sad about this. I, you know, I mean, yeah, he 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 called Trump a cancer for the country. He said, you know, he doesn't uh, he doesn't regret his impeachment vote one iota. That's all very heartening. But then in the end, you know, walking away. But but I, I gotta, I'm trying to see it through his eyes. I'm trying to imagine returning to a Congress that is so toxic with his own party like that. That must be such a helpless feeling. Does he is probably trying to figure out if he could be effective uh, in that role? He's he has young children. He's trying to think about his his life as a as a father and and uh, probably his own mental health. <laughs> mm. I don't know. I I I, I, I love to know I more. To- about what, I totally what, what get it. Decision. You know, he's got to talk to his wife. He has to make a decision that's best for him. But at the same time, you wonder there's got to be camaraderie and like you know, a collaboration between other Republicans who who would want to support him and want to stand up for their own rights. You figure there's strength in numbers. Where's the other faction? They're all kind of just like going into their corner and staying silent. I don't know. This is where you look for bipartisan support. Right. That's but, the, but, that's the key. But my but, whole life, I've heard people talk about that to, to, to preserve democracy, you have to fight for it. And it's hard. It's but, it's really hard Who's fighting for it? But we've been we've been numbed by a presidency where the president and his underlings got away with stuff. I just read an, an editorial that said, you know, if if uh, Nixon had faced consequences, you know, if other you know previous presidents had faced if Trump had faced consequences, if like Congress people who were involved in January sixth faced consequences. This wouldn't be happening. Someone even posited if Nixon hadn't been pardoned and he had actually been, you know, convicted, we may not have had a Trump today, which was kind of an interesting, you know, an interesting view on things. But we see that nobody pays the consequences. 
I, I, I just, it makes you I feel numb. like there's nobody, there's nobody left to fight. And if nobody's going to fight for what we hold dear, we lose it. I mean, this, this is the surrender and I get it. It's family. And, you know, he talked about walking through the airport with security for his children. That's a horrible image. But if people like Anthony Gonzalez won't draw a line in the sand and say, no, no further, we're going to preserve what we hold dear against these forces. Donald Trump doesn't believe in democracy. He tried to overthrow it by sparking the the January 6th insurrection. If you look at the nonsense Josh Mandel puts out, he doesn't believe in democracy either. This is this is moving away from it. And and this is the Republican Party today. uh, It just doesn't support it. Can I ask a question? And I, I don't know the answer to this, but this is not, you know, a rural uh, super Republican district that Gonzalez holds. I mean, is it possible? I mean, he's my congressman, just to put that out there. Is it possible that a Democrat could come in here and actually take this seat from the Republicans? Well, I suspect that with him going, that that'll be the district they carve up for redistricting. They've got to cut one seat in Ohio mm-hmm, and this won't affect any incumbents. They'll, they'll be, all the incumbents that are fighting will be able to keep it if they just mm-hmm. change that around. Although Max Miller will fight like a dog to preserve that one. So you're, yeah, I do. I think you're right. If you get a completely far right wing nut, you, you could have a moderate Democrat win, but we have to see how it's drawn. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What's the latest in the controversy raging in Hudson over a creative writing book used in the high school that prompted students to write about being unable to achieve orgasms, imagining their deaths, imagining murder, and drinking beer? Leila Tassi, this book is 98% innocuous writing prompts, but it does contain more than a dozen that most people would say are not appropriate for a high school <laughs> setting. I, yeah. So, my, my so feelings... <laughs> My feelings on this have really uh, have really evolved this week. <laughs> reporter, so reporter Hannah Drown, she set out to write a very even-handed, level-headed follow-up to what began as kind of a salacious story that was catching fire in national headlines. But as is usually the case with any kind of controversy involving a school district, the Hudson district took the path of avoidance and refused to comment or make the superintendent or teacher available for Hannah. So she reached out to parents instead to try to piece together what this is all about. And she learned that this class, using this particular book of writing prompts, has been offered at Hudson High School for the past five years before anyone noticed the inappropriate content in the book. Of course, you know, it's a class offered for college credit through Hiram College. So that's kind of explains a little bit more about the advanced content. And parents had to sign a document stating that they understood that the class involved adult themes, even though it didn't specifically list sex, murder, and alcohol as those adult themes. So my feelings have kind of changed since I heard about the waiver parents had to sign. I mean, I got to be honest, if my kid comes home with a paper letting me know that the class they're taking will involve adult themes, you can be sure I'm going to investigate that. For this to go unnoticed for five years means the parents aren't kind of, you know, they're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's sort of on them. Yeah, so, I, although I, I'm going to push back a little bit. Sure I, I, and look, will. I'm very liberal minded <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I don't really have trouble with with high school students tackling challenging themes. But but that that permission slip, that contract did not cut it to say adult themes. If they would have said adult themes, here are a couple of examples 
and they, you know, they listed right about being unable to achieve orgasm, imagine your own death. I mean, that those are topics that that probably shouldn't be dealt with in high school. We've got a suicide problem with adolescence and maybe encouraging people to imagine their deaths is a bad idea. Maybe you should talk to psychologists before you put those things in front of a kid. I get it. The, the, the mayor in this case was ridiculous. He goes in, he tells the school board they should resign or he's going to have them arrested as child pornographers. And that's just crazy talk and it's nonsense and the outrage is misplaced. But there's bad judgment here. In the end, when you look at some of the, the, the prompts in this book, you shouldn't have done it. There's a million different writing prompt books out there. Maybe look, the other thing, Layla, this was inevitable. It took five years, but eventually somebody was going to come up with this and it was going to be a national story. Yeah, but I will. I mean, all right, you're right. I agree. There are plenty of writing prompt books out there, plenty, thousands, perhaps, and they should have chosen one of those. But you know, adult themes. What do you think of when you see adult themes in what 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 comes to mind for you? What, what are you your... know, maybe you're going to be writing about abortion. Maybe you're going to be writing about capital punishment. I don't. I don't think any parent that signed that thought that it would be asking people to discuss being unable to achieve orgasm or to taste beer. Well, they're not eighteen. No, not no, no. But but also, you know, I, I think that, you know, when I went down the list, yeah. Okay, first of all, the teacher is not going to direct them to those themes and have them, you know, assign the class those themes. This is probably a supplemental, you know, text that is, you know, part of their, there's 650 themes in the book. But, you know, when I went down the list, yeah, the shock value is high, no doubt. When you think of it through the, through the lens of, well, these are teenagers engaging in this material. Yeah, I absolutely see why the Hudson moms are all clutching their pearls here. But when you look at each prompt in the <laughs> eyes of a writer, you see it I differently. Just don't think that's fair. You know, I mean I, I think I think look, you know, I think attacking the moms is unfair here. Look, th this is a high school setting. And it yes, it's a college level course, but it's a high school setting. If you're going to explore those themes, the parents should know specifically what the themes are. Can, it, can it shouldn't be some cursory adult themes. Be be transparent about it. Laura Johnson. I was just going to say, it's clear the school board had no idea this was being used. And so I think what made it a national story and what made the story so salacious was the reaction of some of the, the people in charge, the mayor saying, you know, that it was pornography and demanding that the school board resign. Like this, this obviously needed to be brought up. The, the text should never be used again. The teacher should be talked to about it. But like the people in charge, they made it worse. And look, I get it. There's like 630 questions that are innocuous, you know, write about what can happen in a second and to, to, to provoke the writing. But and Layla, the fact that they don't assign those. I went to high school. I know that everybody in that class was going through those questions and zeroing in on the salacious ones. They're high school kids. They're going to find it. Yeah, but so they're, look what they, they have access to in the world. The, the kids today are not the <laughs> right? kids that, you know, you remember going to high school. I mean, when you were in high school, <laughs> you would get that exists. book and you would but, be, that would be like the most tantalizing thing in your life. They have ample. I'm they, not 90, Layla. That's, that's not really true. <laughs> no, but um, you just did uh, uh, not uh, exist uh, when Chris uh, Quinn was uh, in high school. Go back or and look at pictures of people in the late 70s and 80s, and I think you'll find they were not the 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 prude you think they are. The um the problem is this is taxpayer funded, right? This is this of is not, if, if this were some writing club that was that was independent, fine. But this is taxpayer funded. The people who pay taxes 
have ha, are, are funding this and they're uncomfortable with it. And look, it was inevitable this would explode like this. I mean, they, they, there's no doubt that when when certain adults got a hold of this, this would blow up. It's bad judgment. I mean, this is just bad judgment by the teacher and maybe by the department head. Does, is it reason for the ridiculous amounts of outrage? No, but it's still bad judgment and, and they should show better judgment. They're going to yeah, do an investigation and we'll see what they say. And it, right. if, if I, I could... could board members are Lisa Garvin. Yeah. If I could point out just a little nugget that was buried in the story that was done last week, there was a police officer from Stowe, Eric Durker, who stood up during the board meeting and demanded that there should be cameras in classrooms. Here's his quote. I demand that there be cameras in classrooms as a matter of public record that we can pull in view that what is being taught to our kids and what is being said to our kids. That sent a chill down my spine. I mean, it yeah, may be crazy, but, you know, there are other people who probably thought, oh, what a good idea. Yeah, oh, but that gets back into what we were talking about earlier. This country is moving in a very dangerous direction. That's preposterous. Of course, you're not going to have cameras in the classroom so parents can look in and monitor the teachers. This but the seed dumb. is out there now. But, the seed has been planted. But, and this. And the seed was planted because there was bad judgment by a teacher in making themselves vulnerable to this criticism. And that that is what raises questions. I just got to move on. Even launching an investigation of this is a silly waste of time. Just pick a different book and move on. What is the big deal? Well, No, you got to find out how this book got in there. Who approved it? I mean, somebody was it just the teacher. Okay, then talk to the teacher. Was it the department head? Okay. Was it the entire English department? Was it what did the college do it? without really talking to anybody in the high school in the school system so that there was no communication between the college and the high school system about what it was. I mean, you need to find answers to these questions so that you can proceed forward. Can Otherwise, you're going to abolish the college program, which would be a shame. Laura Johnston. I just wanted to say, whenever someone doesn't talk, like Hannah had a horrible time getting anybody from the school district. The school board members did not call her back. And it just makes it worse when people cannot get to the bottom of something because then it lets your imagination run wild. And you have people saying, let's put cameras in the classroom. If schools would just realize that responding to questions and being transparent about what happened is the best way to deal with these kind of controversies. I just, I wish someone realized that. That's a lesson for every public official, every office. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, God, no one gets it. Communications directors, that is all, I mean, they just never learn that lesson. But it's Hudson. Hudson has a long history of doing stupid stuff. The police are, are as closed as they can be. They tried to never give records. A woman from Lake County ran over some kid in Hudson, and we basically had a threaten to sue them to get the basic details. This is Hudson where they had a military program on Memorial Day and they, they oh, right. bleeped out the general talking about the role of black soldiers in the Civil War. I mean, Hudson is a mess. You would think that they would start to assess their very soul. This is the latest example of ridiculousness. I would have thought that the mayor would be the calming influence and he was the opposite. <laughs> You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How much of Ohio's $808 million settlement with companies that caused the opioid crisis will actually make it back to the local governments that had the high cost of dealing with the crisis? Lisa Garvin, this was mostly a local problem. That's where the deaths were. That's where the coroners were overrun. That's where the, the drug treatment facilities got pounded and police were overrun by it. 
So what percentage of that money are they actually going to get locally as opposed to going elsewhere? Not a lot, as it turns out. Uh, Local governments will get less than a third of that $808 million opioid settlement, which is paid out from Johnson & Johnson, the the maker of the drugs, Cardinal Health, McKesson, and Amerisource Bergen. So yeah, and then 55% goes to this amorphous foundation that they're going to create for, you know, addiction treatment and, and so forth. Still don't know any details on that. But I remember as a board member last year when we discussed this, I was kind of offended that the state took a 15% cut. I don't know why this state should get that money. I, I, you know, what are they going to do with it? They haven't said. Yeah, and they and the state didn't have nearly as much of an impact as as local did. I mean, we we remember we were I think mm-hmm. renting refrigeration trucks for all the corpses that were coming. We may still be because the 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 deaths have been high again this year. I, I just was surprised at how much of the money was going to treatment programs that I guess will be chosen by the state instead of to reimburse the local governments that lost so much money on on this. Um, but but it's still it's more money than they would have had if there wasn't a settlement. So we'll have to check and see. In Cuyahoga County, they made their own deal and got quite right. a bit more money. And, and Summit, yeah, Cuyahoga and Summit got $100 million each in their own negotiations. But some, uh, you know, uh, I guess Scioto County, is that, am I pronouncing that right? Scioto County? I think it's Scioto. Oh, Scioto. Okay. That's that's the river. Yeah. They were the only one of the uh, plaintiffs to refuse. They said that their $1.8 million allotment was not enough. So I don't know where they go from there, but uh, you know, everyone else under pain of, you know, uh, the deadline, 95% of the governments had to agree or it would be off. But Scioto County was the only holdout apparently. Yeah, it's um, it's a big settlement and and it'll be paid over 18 years, too. That's the other thing. So they're getting this mm-hmm. money, but it's going to trickle in. Maybe maybe they could front load the local governments, at least to make them whole and then trickle out the money and treatment over 18 years. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. The news in the coronavirus gets worse by the day. The numbers just keep climbing, never plateauing or, heaven forbid, going down. What's the latest from Ohio Health Director Bruce Vanderhoff on the impact? And are summer concerts partly to blame? A lot of questions there, Laura Johnston, so go ahead and answer them. We're just going to keep the depressing stats right on coming. But Ohio averaged 683.3 coronavirus cases per 100,000 residents on Thursday. That was a 17% jump from the previous week. And obviously, we have been making these kind of catapults every week as the numbers go up. I believe we had 8,000 cases of something uh, yesterday, which is just these numbers are as bad as the winter surge last year, which is just incredible considering it's still nice out and people can get vaccinated. But all the highest counties with the cases are rural. Pike, Perry, Lawrence, Muskingum, and Scioto are the top five. And um, right, well, you, you could blame the concerts, but you'd have to blame the indoor events before or after the concerts because it doesn't seem like the outdoor part is where it's spreading. Yeah, I know, but that's distressing because you thought that the outdoor concerts would be safe. But if people were all gathering and they've done contact tracing to show, oh, those are super spreader events, what does that say? For well, the outdoor, the outdoor concerts are safe. It's the people going inside before and after. So 
you just have to be aware of what you're doing. So all these uh, fall events are coming up, you know, Oktoberfest and Harvest Festivals. If you're outside, you should be okay. Although Vanderhoff is recommending everybody wear masks because you're going to be in close contact even outside. And I think that's, you know, what's coming back. I had a Girl Scout meeting this week. We were all outside. We all wore masks just because you can't be too safe. So have we gotten to the point where you really don't want to go back inside in restaurants because you won't be wearing a mask and you'll be sitting in a place with lots of other people? I mean, have we reached the point where you don't want to be indoors with strangers unless you're wearing a mask? Well, I don't want my kids I never left that point. <laughs> what, what, Leila Tassi? I said, I never left that point. I don't know what you mean by back to that, to back to that point. <laughs> and I've been, I've been kind of bad of... about going to restaurants. I've been going inside a restaurant since June, but my, you know, I had a birthday lunch and I was afraid that to take my mother inside of a restaurant. She's 92 years old and she reluctantly agreed, but we sat way in the back of the restaurant, way back from the other uh, patrons. So yeah, I don't know. It's getting kind of scary. I think we're looking there. at more igloos, more igloos this year, right. more outdoor dining with the, with the heaters on, but yeah, kids still can't get vaccinated until that. I mean, I'm not yeah. taking my kids inside. All right. It just keeps getting worse and worse. I keep waiting to see where we, the curve. And isn't it mind boggling that yeah. like we're mm -hmm. at this point again, every time I, I cannot wrap my head around it. They're coming into winter. I mean, Layla had brought up a few weeks ago that we're coming into that Thanksgiving Christmas holiday period that yep. was hugely super spreading last year. So bad news. Let's move on. Maybe we can find some good news. It's this week in the CLE. How could the proposed $3.5 trillion spending bill being debated in Washington help keep shipping open in Lake Erie in early winter and get it started in earlier in the spring? Leila Tassi, this is just kind of a wacko story to talk about on this podcast, <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It, so it looks like the Great Lakes could get a new $350 million ice-breaking ship. Uh, Toledo Democratic Representative Marcy Kaptur, who co-chairs the bipartisan House Great Lakes uh, Task Force, led a July letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to request that money. And that was included in the section of the, of the, the bill that the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee adopted early Wednesday morning. So the Lake Carriers Association has been trying to get this new icebreaker for years. And it estimates that over the past seven years, shipping delays caused by ICE cost the Great Lakes economy $2 billion and more than 10,000 jobs. For example, it says that the steel industry was crippled in 2014 when critically low iron ore stocks weren't replenished at the blast furnaces on the lower lakes due to ice and a lack of capable icebreakers. So, you know, according to the association, during three of the past six years, the Coast Guard has been unable to keep Great Lakes waterways consistently open to commercial navigation when conditions beca became icy. So this is this has a lot of bipartisan support. Again, the, the you know, the, the bill, you know, the overarching spending bill is more controversial. Senator Rob Portman told reporters that the, the overall bill will ensure the U.S. once again has the highest corporate tax rate among all developed countries and that it would hamper the country's economic recovery from the pandemic. So we'll see what happens. You know, all, right, so, all, so, all good things die. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little bit confused. I mean, we have one of these on the Great Lakes, as I understand it. This would give us a second one. And I don't know if people realize the way these work, but we had a reporter named Tom Ott who went out on one. And basically, it forces itself up on the ice and then on the weight of the boat breaks the ice. So it just keeps going going up and down. But, but, and Laura Johnson, I'd be interested to hear what you say. 
climate change has right. reduced the ice cover on the lakes. I mean, we yep. had one winter a couple of years ago where I don't think it ever iced over. And last year it didn't ice over to really late. It's one of the reasons we get so much damn snow because the, the, the ice doesn't show up. So how are they saying that it's worse? Well, then it's I don't know, but the you, get a, you get a polar vortex and that is happening way more with climate change because it, the polar vortex actually weakens in the North Pole and comes down to us. You, then we get some frozen ice really quickly. And Lake Erie is the fastest to freeze because it's the shallowest. But uh, so even and, and the ports, you know, the, the sides of the lake, those are going to freeze the first. I do want to correct. We, there's nine ice cutters in the Great Lakes. So I think this makes 10. They But they've been asking for it but for is, quite but a long the, time. But, but this one is supposed to be like super heavy. And the way I thought it was described is there's only one other like this one. Maybe not. Maybe I got that, it wrong. That might be true. But I, I'm, I'm never going to let you forget. I haven't been on an ice cutter. I, I would like to be on one. And actually, I, as I recall, Tomat wished he had not gone on because oh. it was <laughs> a lot of up and down. But I'm never oh. going to let people forget that you just used the term frozen ice. You're listening oh. to This Week in the CLE. <laughs> The tower at Erie View is one of the tallest in Cleveland and the state, and it's been a sad story in recent years. What are the plans to revive it? Lisa Garvin, they've got some grand plans, including a restaurant at the top, which could be cool because it has great views. Yeah, the tower at Erie View is at 12th Street, East 12th Street, is fourth tallest building in Cleveland. It's owned by the Kasuf family. So they've reached an agreement with the Marriott Hotel chain, for the W Hotel concept, which is new to Ohio. It's obviously a luxury concept. They're going to build a 210-room luxury hotel on the lower floors of the building. Uh, the uh, amenities would also include a large ballroom of 15,000 square feet and then conference and event facilities. Above that will be 227 luxury apartments and then uh, $300,000, $300,000 square feet of office space. The plan also includes uh, converting the Galleria to a lifestyle center, which we don't know what that'll hold, a, a spa perhaps or some workout facilities. But yes, the restaurant will be on the 38th floor with a commanding view of the Cleveland uh, skyline. It's a $90 million project. They hope to finish only in a couple of years, like early 2024. Um, I, the question is, does Cleveland have the demand for luxury apartments and luxury hotel space? What say you? Well, right now, I don't think there's a demand for any hotel space because of the pandemic, but I, there must be looking down the road. Look, this is one of those buildings that, that is, it, it, everybody's familiar with. It's on the skyline. The Galleria has gone through how many different modifications over the years, and it's just not been a successful building. And so the fact that they're trying an entirely new strategy, maybe it'll it'll bring it back. I mean, it's the fourth largest building, tallest building in Cleveland, so it's a significant one on the um, on the skyline. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. I I, I can't believe we had frozen ice and clutching the pearls in one podcast. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, just added, I, I have been ice boating on Lake Erie, and they call uh, the ice hard water, and then regular sailing soft water. So there you go, soft water uh, sailing. Uh, okay, that, I guess that clears that up quite a bit. <laughs> Thank you, everybody who listens to this podcast. Come back Monday for another conversation about the news. <laughs>